Today we begin a new sermon series. It's actually not really a new sermon series. We've been in this sermon series in past summers. Uh, we've referred to it as Summer in the Psalms, where we take a number of Sundays and uh, take up a number of psalms and explore them. In years past, we have reminded ourselves, in fact, maybe even in your reading of the psalms, you've discovered this, that there are various genres, various types of psalms. And so there are songs that are of lament. In fact, that's the largest category where people call out and cry out to God. There are psalms that are hymns of praise and worship, and psalms that are more about thanksgiving or confidence, trust in God. There are prophetic psalms, psalms of remembrance, psalms about the King, and there are wisdom psalms, which happens to be the nature of the psalm that we're going to look at today. This summer, we're going to actually look at Psalms 1, 5, 37, 98, and 118. We've printed those numbers in your handout today in case you want to uh, prepare yourself for each Sunday that you would read ahead and, and spend time in that particular psalm. One of the things that unites all of these psalms is that included in each one is a spiritual habit, some reference to a spiritual habit, an exercise or a spiritual discipline that have been helpful for God's people over the times. And so, for instance, today is, is going to take a look at study, that we would delight in study, we would delight being in God's Word. Others we're going to cover are the spiritual habits of prayer and stillness and praise and worship and giving thanks. Before we begin today's message, let's pause for prayer. Would you join me? Father, we do thank you that you are the giver of your Word, that you reveal yourself to us in your Word, that you give us so many gifts uh, through the gift of your words. Be with us now as we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We trust that as we gather in your name that, that you are here with us. And so God, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of all of our hearts and minds, may this time be acceptable to you for you are our God, our rock, our redeemer. In Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I, I believe that there's two common beliefs about Christianity, two common perspectives. And I thought this morning that we could use road signs to identify these two common perspectives about Christianity. So let's first take a look at this first road sign. Now, this may be photoshopped. I, I get it. it. It may be out of someone's frustration. And maybe the quality of the picture isn't all that great. It's the best I could find of it online. But maybe this is your experience uh, of, of Christianity. Maybe a number of people have this perspective. It's kind of that don't perspective about Christianity. That Christianity is all about don't. Don't do this, don't do that, and don't do the other thing. In fact, a number of people who would hold this perspective probably have chosen not to cross the threshold of a local church. Who needs all that don't? That being said, I've come to experience that there's a lot of people in churches that love this perspective of Christianity. They like pointing fingers out. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do this. Don't. One perspective of Christianity. Here's another. We'll put up this other sign. 
Now, I don't know if this sign actually exists anywhere. If you were driving at anything above 25 miles an hour, you probably would, you would just, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Um, this is the whatever perspective of Christianity. That Christianity really is whatever you want it to be, that you do you. You know, you do you, you come to our church, you do you, it's okay. You figure out your way of following God through Jesus, and, and you just do you. Whatever, whatever. I believe our psalm, however, today, uh, and Scripture in its entirety, would present a third way, a way we might describe by this sign. We might refer to this then as decision. If the first one was don't, the second one was whatever, this one says we get to make a decision. There's a decision to be made, and I believe, again, this is the perspective of our psalm. So, with this in mind, let's go ahead and read our text. Our text is from, and I left my Bible in my office, so let me grab my phone real quickly. We'll use that. Um, that uh, our psalm today is Psalm 1, and we'll call that up real quickly. The th- two things I'd have us listen for and encourage you to listen for is one is the decision to be made, and the other thing to listen for is the particular spiritual habit. Uh, both of them are fairly easy to pick out in the midst of the psalm. Right, let's receive the Word of God this morning, Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading of His Word. May God bless us as we come under His Word. Today, we're going to talk about two things, decision and delight. Decision and delight. Decision and delight. So, let's first talk about decision. Let me throw this picture up. This is a picture from a Schnucks store. This is their mustard section. Do you know if you go to buy mustard, you have a few decisions to make? When I zoomed in on this particular picture, uh, we have the choice between beer and brat mustard, honey mustard, chipotle mustard, brown mustard, golden brown mustard, spicy brown mustard, spicy, sweet and spicy, Dijon, and horseradish. There may be other flavors, but those are the only ones that I could make out. Once we decide on a flavor, we have a brand. On these shelves, we can identify the brands of Silver Spring, Jack Daniels, French's, Hellman's, Schnucks, Coops, Emeralds, and Woobers. I don't even know Woobers. Then there's the size you can choose from, the bottle type, and if you really want to be invested in the decision you're making, look at the expiration date and compare them all. A lecturer out of the University of Leicester in the UK by the name of Eva Krakow 
she has made this statement uh, through her research that people make, uh, the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions each and every day. And so, people who study such things, um, uh, they talk about decision fatigue. Maybe you already know that experience firsthand. Even this morning, maybe you got up and you were wondering, should I get up, should I not get up? There's a decision to make. What should I have for breakfast? Well, should I exercise first? Am I going to shower? Am I going to shave? Am I going to shower and shave? If I'm going to exercise, then what am I going to do for my exercise? Should I exercise later or have breakfast first? If I'm going to have breakfast, should I have toast? If I'm going to have toast, should I put margarine or butter on it or jam or maybe peanut butter or maybe avocado? If I'm going to have an egg, scrambled, fried, poached? Decision after decision after decision. And so, this idea of decision fatigue. One of the solutions that people put forward for decision fatigue is automation. That we would, we would take a number of questions right out of our uh, task for the day by making a decision, by deciding that. Maybe you've seen some people that only have one kind of clothing, and they only always wear that one kind of clothing. Maybe it's a a certain color, a certain type of shirt, whatever it is. They've made decision easy. You go into their closet, there are seven gray shirts. Taking a, a decision and making it final. Maybe we only put one kind of breakfast food in our cabinet, and we never have to think of it again. Well, our passage is taking this approach to decision-making, this idea of automation. Make a decision. Be about that decision, not so much for the sake of reducing decision fatigue, but to make a decision for the sake of our souls. Take a look at verse 6 from our passage. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In preparing for this morning, I looked in touch base with a number of resources, and uh, there was a consistency uh, about all these resources that identify Psalm 1 as a gatekeeper psalm, this, this little psalm of wisdom that stands at the front door of the rest of the psalms, that when the psalms were all finally compiled and put together, that there was a decision that, that this psalm would be at the front door. And it says, listen, that, that there's a decision to be made. If you want to enjoy the words of this book, if you want to enjoy the rest of these psalms and to to, uh, receive from them all that God would have to offer, make a decision. A decision is to be made. On one side, there will be the righteous. On the other side will be the wicked. Which path will you go? Which arrow will you um, prioritize? To the left, to the right. To make a decision. On one side are those who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you get a little bit of the feeling of the progression of those three things? To walk in the counsel of the wicked is kind of this association. I'm coming alongside. I'm kind of with this group. But to stand is to say, I am a part of that group. This is where I stand and take my place. 
to sit in the seat of scoffers is to say, I'm not only standing with them, but I am participating fully. Scoffers are those that not only choose the path against God, but make fun of, mock those who choose God and the way of God. So on one side, you have these who choose not to do these things. On the other side, you have those who do choose to do those things. On one side, as our passage calls out, are the blessed. And on the other are the side that are not blessed. The word blessed in this passage, there's a, a word in Hebrew that means blessed, more the idea of a person's empowered, that you, if, if you're blessed, you receive some kind of empowerment, some kind of ability or strength. You can be blessed that way. That's not the word here. This word here has more the meaning of happy. If you think of the New Testament, when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, he provides the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, happy. The sense of response to the goodness of God, to a response to the provision of God, a happiness. And so on one side are those who are happy because of their decision to follow God and those on the other side. And so as we talk about decision this morning, let me ask, have you made your decision? As you come to that sign to the left or the right, to the right to the left, have you made your decision about God? True, in Scripture, we find that God is the one who quickens hearts, absolutely. God is the one who moves first. God is the one who gave his son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty that, that we could not pay, that, that was due, and, and he paid it once for all. And, and he was raised from the dead, conquering death. God did this for us. God moves. God elects. Ours then, as the Bible says in so many different places, is to respond we have a choice. We have a decision to make. Will we choose to be faithful in response to God's provision? Will we choose, will we decide to walk in the way of Christ, to align ourselves with His heart? Will we be faithful? There's a decision to be made. Let me give an invitation to those of you that have already made that decision and that you've chosen that you want to follow Jesus Christ with all of who you are. Let me give you the invitation to listen to the, to the second part of our, of our discussion this morning, to take delight and to explore delight. Maybe you haven't quite yet made that decision. Let me give you an invitation. Let me give you an invitation that maybe even this day, this day, maybe even this morning is the time for your decision. That you would say yes to this God that you know that God loves you through Jesus Christ and you say, I need Christ in my life. I want Christ in my life. So let me invite you even this moment to welcome Christ into your life, to say, to give yourself to him, to say, I follow you. My delight is to be found in you. And so let me give a, a third invitation Maybe you haven't yet decided for God or, or, or for the way of Christ, and, and you don't sense that this is the day for that. Let me invite you, continue to listen and continue to be a part of the conversation. Hear the word of delight that comes to us from this passage, trusting that even God, even now, would use that to continue 
to let you know about who He is. So with all this in mind, let's go to that second part. As we've talked about a decision now, what does it mean to delight? Let me ask you, can you think of something that you really like? Just go ahead, th- just think of something, just one thing you really like. It doesn't have to be the best thing you like. It doesn't have to be, there's no great about this, okay? So something you like. I'd love it if all of us could share it at one time, okay? So I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say one thing we like. All right, you ready? And if we all say it, if nobody participates but one person, that's going to be, like, embarrassing. So uh, (laughs) something you can do for the people around you. Can Just say one thing you like. One, two, three, spending time with my family. That's awesome. We like a bunch of stuff. We like a bunch of stuff. So why is it that you liked the thing you mentioned? Why is it you liked the thing you mentioned? You know, when people reflect on why we like things, they put them into different categories. Sometimes we like things for what they can do. Sometimes we like things for what they can do. I like my lawnmower because it cuts my grass. It's more efficient than hand clippers. It's more efficient than just taking a weed whacker over my whole lawn. If my lawnmowers no longer had the ability to cut my grass, I wouldn't like it. There's nothing about the lawnmower of itself that draws me to like it, only that it cuts my grass. Sometimes we like things for how they make us feel. Not just for what they do, but for how they make us feel. You know, for me, when, when we get to those fall days, you know, when it's a lot cooler and that, that temperature changes and the leaves start to change color and we, we, we feel a little bit cozier, I like my comforter. Not because it keeps me warm necessarily, but because the way it makes me feel. There's a, a sense of being in a cocoon when you get to pull that comforter out and, and snuggle up inside of it. Sometimes we like things for how they make us feel. But sometimes we like things because we find in them some intrinsic value. Something inside that is a value all to itself. Not because it's useful here, not because it makes us feel good over there. It might be useful, it might make us feel things, but there's something about the value itself that's intrinsic to the item. This is the sense of the word delight in our passage. In verse 2, when it talks about delighting in the law of the Lord. It's a kind of delight, and there are other words for delight, but this particular word for delight in Hebrew has a sense that, that there's something of value in the thing itself, that in the law of the Lord is something that is worth valuing. And so the blessed person, the happy person, is not the one who adopts the way of the wicked. The blessed or happy person is the one, according to our passage, whose delight, whose delight, whose happiness is in the law of the Lord because of what the law of the Lord is. This person, she recognizes the intrinsic value of the law of the Lord. Now, what do we mean by the law of the Lord? 
in a real reduced way, we could say it's, well, it's the Ten Commandments. Absolutely, that would fit within that category. We could expand that and say, well, this means the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. If we take the law, uh, um, if we took that, and we could say, well, this is the law of the Lord. By the time the Psalms are put together, there's a, a larger con- a collection of what we call Old Testament, but a larger collection of Scripture, and, and very easily within the context of the community of believers, the law of the Lord would be all of Scripture. We would delight in the words of God, what God has revealed. You know, the Bible has a few words to say about the intrinsic value of God's Word. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, the, that Scripture, that God's Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Bible has value because it is God-breathed. We find that the, the Bible, the Scripture, is eternal, that, that it, it does not come to an end, that the words of Christ, the words of God, do not come to an end. Matthew 24.35 and Isaiah 40, verse 8. We're told in Isaiah 55, 11 that, that God's Word is successful, that, that it cannot be kept from its purposes. It will be successful in what it is there to do and accomplish. In Hebrews 4, 12, we find out that the Word of God is living and active. And from Psalm 19, we hear that the Word of God is perfect, sure, right, pure, true, and righteous. The Word of God, the law of the Lord. It's possible for us to misinterpret God's Word. We can ridicule it. We can disobey it. We can even put it on a shelf and uh, disregard it altogether. But no matter what I might do to God's Word, its intrinsic value is unchanged. It remains God's Word. To delight in the law of the Lord is to recognize Scripture for what it is. And then to respond in an appropriate measure to its intrinsic value. The response provided in our passage is to delight, to take joy in it, to to respond internally appropriately to what it is, and then to meditate on it day and night, to commit ourselves to chewing it and bringing it and making it a part of us. Here's what it says about those who delight in the law of the Lord. Here's what it says. He says, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all this person does, this person prospers. You get the picture. A tree by a stream doing all that it was intended to do, resulting in fruit. The tree is alive and prosperous. It's a picture of abundance and fullness. We know this concept. We know to link fullness with something. We, we have this. We're used to it in our lives. We, we've said it before. If a person exercises and eats correctly or healthfully, that they will be healthy. You do these things, you get this thing. We, we've said words like this before, that, you know, if a person works hard, they're going to get the reward. Just work hard, you'll get the reward. Work hard. We have these ideas in our mind. But the one that we have declared in our passage is that the one who delights 
and the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, well, this person's like a tree planted by a river. Doesn't wither, but produces fruit in season. Delighting in God's Word. In the Bible, we're told that God's Word is like a lamp, a light, lighting the path for us. In the Bible, God reveals Himself. God reveals who we are. God lets us know what the problem is. God lets us know what the solution is. Did you hear those four things? God reveals Himself, lets us know who we are, helps us with knowing what the problem is, and tells us what the solution is. Those are the foundational pillars to a worldview. God lets us in on the correct worldview, the eternal worldview. In Scripture, God challenges, convicts, guides, directs, and commands. In other words, God in Scripture points the way. In Scripture, God enlightens, prepares, encourages, comforts, and reassures. In other words, in Scripture, God nurtures. So let's say we want to delight in this word. What could that look like? How do we do this? Let me throw up a list of ways that we can approach Scripture. You know, we can read Scripture to experience and learn. Now, I get it. In this room are some readers. There are some readers. You know who you are. Whether you have a Kindle or a notebook or you like the smell of pages and you've got a stack of books on your bedside table and you just love to read. Others of us in this room don't like to read at all. In fact, every time someone says read, we get a little sweaty or we just start tuning out. Or For whatever reason, there can be all kinds of reasons, but we're just not readers. Thankfully that we live in a time where audio files exist and we can listen to God's Word. You know, there's this uh, website called BibleProject.com. Let me say it again, BibleProject.com. You can go on to BibleProject.com, and they have these creative reviews of every book of the Bible. They're videos. You can just sit there and watch it and have them watch it over and over again and learn what the Bible is teaching. They have classes on the website that you can take and participate in. We can read to experience and learn. We can study to learn and understand. We can study God's Word to learn and understand. Some people in here have study Bibles, and so study Bibles have the top part of a page is the actual Scripture, and at the bottom of the page are all these notes and historical comments. They help you to know what's going on behind and, and how did this come to be, and what are the links from one passage to another passage. Those kind of background tools can help us understand Scripture. We have classes here. In fact, next Sunday, uh, Greg Manship, Greg, raise your hand. Can you, right over here. Greg Manship delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord, and he loves helping other people learn to delight in the law of the Lord. This time it's going to be on religious nationalism. And so he's going to take a class and he's going to engage people in Scripture to be able to know it and understand it and be able to apply it in this world. Study. We can read, we can study, we can chew on Scripture. You know, that's the word that's in our text. We can meditate, we can put it in our mouth, and it's a word that means mutter, like we're turning the words over and over again in our mouth. 
that we might understand God's Word and integrate it into our lives. Not just understanding in our head, but all of a sudden we start applying it to our mental models and, and holding things up to God's Word and changing life in ourselves and we can integrate it into who we are. We can also apply Scripture. And as we apply it, we integrate Scripture into relationships, in our work, in our community, into our schools. And as we apply, we can also be transformed. God using Scripture, God using His Spirit and Scripture to transform us more into the image of Jesus. And the last one I'll throw up on the screen is to share, that we can share Scripture. And when we do, we gift those with whom we share it, and we even grow ourselves as we put it into our own words. For example, let's take Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. We'll put it up here on the screen. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. You can read those words. You can study them even as we're doing now during the sermon. We can chew on them. You can take them home and every week maybe take a new phrase and just chew on it all week long. That your understanding might go to integration into your life. We can apply these words and we can share them. Decision. Delight. Let me conclude with this. Our corner of the world has far too many Christians who know far too little about God's Word. Tragically, for these Christians, it truncates their appreciation and their worship of God. It also impedes, impedes their ability to adequately give witness to the people around them about the goodness and the greatness of God. These Christians have come to the double arrows. They've chosen to go the way of God, but not whole hog. They've chosen to go the way of God, but, but maybe just a little bit down the path. Psalm 1 calls out to us, or maybe more appropriately, God calls out to us through Psalm 1, and instructs and encourage us, encourages us to go all in. Delight in the law of the Lord. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Chew on it. Turn it over and over again in our mouths until the Spirit provides understanding and uses God's Word to make us more like Christ. Be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Let's show our brothers and sisters in the faith and the world around us that we know the intrinsic value of the law of the Lord and its ability to make happy those who delight in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you, you allow us to know you, that you choose to make yourself known to us, and that God, in your wisdom, and over the course of time, you've put together 
your words. Scripture, the Bible, God breathed that we might know you and that we might take delight in you even as we take delight in your words. And then you sent your son into this world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so God, we thank you that you would send your son, that we would have life in you through him forevermore. Today we come together, Father, to share in a meal, a meal that he taught us to be able to celebrate together, a meal that he celebrated with his followers on that night. So God, would you bless these elements, the bread and the juice, as we engage in this sacrament, this external sign of an internal reality, may we be full of delight. For this meal, it proclaims that Jesus gave his life, that we would have life forevermore. God, thank you. Be with each person as as we celebrate together this wonderful gift from Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.